0: Telling you there is a there's a second person that you need to cut that cover with, so it could be an A B split across the country across the country, um, and that that kid was Drake. So they were just like, that doesn't make any sense to us. Like, why would you split Chris Brown on the cover, speaking for the first time with like this this brand new kid? And I was like, look, man, <laughs> have you listened to So Far God? They were like they were like, yep, means means nothing to us. I was like, all right, cool. Here's the deal. I promise you, and I you know, I didn't like I didn't know Drake was gonna be as big as big as he as he was, but I said, I promise you you have a legacy brand. If you cannot show that you are not, that you are on the pulse, on what's going to happen next, you're dead in the water. Do not be dead in the water and continue to have complex. Eat your lunch. Put this kid <laughs> put this kid on the cover and split it.
1: Central Sauce and the Fifth Element Podcast Network, this is In Search of Sauce, a celebration of the writers saving music journalism from death by clickbait. How we doing, everyone? Uh, This is Mickey Hellerback, and I'm here with Brandon Hill and Ryan Gore. Guys, you wanna introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, Brandon Hill, uh, writer, editor, production manager for the Discovery section over at Central Sauce. Uh, Really excited for our interview here today. Uh, as far as my new work, you can probably check out. I got a couple Why We Like It's coming up this week and next week. Find those on the site and subscribe to my writing newsletter with the link in my bio on Twitter at Hoopla Hill. You'll never miss an update on my writing or on the blog posts that I write about these episodes.
3: And I'm Ryan Gore, a writer at Central Source. On the website this week, you could catch my Why We Like It about uh, Delta the Butterflies and a great art- architect, Snails. Uh, that song had me accidentally writing about Greek philosophy as much as you can accidentally write about ancient Greek philosophy. So yeah, check that one out. <laughs> and yeah, uh, if I followed in advance for any fireworks in the background.
1: It's Diwali, so happy Diwali to everyone. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was the that was the most Ryan intro <laughs> and blog I've ever heard in my life. Um, word. So again, I'm I'm Mickey Hellerback, and uh, the one thing I definitely want to promote. Uh, for this episode is also is another episode of In Search of Sauce, a kind of offshoot that we're starting called Stirring the Sauce, that I co-hosted with Joshua Watera, um, where we discuss uh, with two different journalists as well as between each other about the um, Ice Cube contract with Black America and him sort of pitching it to both uh, political parties three weeks before the three or two weeks before the election and. Um, We dissect the the pieces that happened in response to it and their overall impact. Um, It's a cool new concept that um, we're trying out, and I hope y'all will take a listen. Um, So uh, let's get into it. We're really excited about um, what we're going to do this episode. Um, For this episode of In Search of Sauce, we are getting sauce directly from the source. We sat down to talk with a man who has held a wide array of titles within the music and editorial industry. He started as an intern at Vibe Magazine and worked his way up to eventually becoming their editor-in-chief. He later went on to co-found and become the editor-in-chief at the legendary King Magazine as well. From there, he transitioned to a more rounded media position as the vice president and managing editor at BET. But this year, he transitioned back into the industry he got his start in and is now the editor-in-chief for Level Magazine on Medium. This latest venture he describes as overseeing the vision of a digital publication that serves black and brown males within the categories of race and identity, culture, and real life. It's safe to say, based on career alone, this guy's influence makes him a visionary. Welcome to In Search of Sauce, Jermaine Hall. So, we're here with Jermaine Hall. Again, uh, we said it off air, but uh, Jermaine, thanks again for talking with us, man.
0: Oh man, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it, big feeling.
1: Definitely. So how's how everything going specifically with, uh, you know, working as editor in chief and as, uh, at level in the pandemic and everything? Are you generally working from home?
0: Yeah, we've been, I mean, I've been here since, since March, like most people, uh, kind of mid like the middle of March, um, just working, working from the basement. Um, this has kind of been my, my cockpit, um, from now until, you know, until the foreseeable future. So we're back, back in offices. I miss it though. I do miss the offices a lot.
1: Yeah. That's crazy. Even the, the pandemic even puts someone like Jermaine Hall back to the basement.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, what's,
0: it's, what's wild is, um, you know, because, you know, because it's, it's a digital operation, um, you know, and medium is, both a tech and editorial um, operation. You know, it's been, we, we haven't really missed a, missed a step. You know, it's not like anything has changed from us being home versus in versus office.
1: Cool, so we always like to start with talking uh, to our guests a little bit, just kind of as a little bit of small talk about what you've been listening to specifically that's new, or if you've, I've specifically kind of been going back and uh, going through cat, full catalogs that I haven't listened to uh, entirely from front to back. Um, but what, what have you been tapping into musically?
0: I've been in, so my, my son, Jordan just had his bar mitzvah yesterday and, and Jordan is a huge nineties hip hop fan. So as, as my wife has, you know, has been preparing for, for this day, we've kind of all like all, all of us, her, her, Jordan, we've all been in this like nineties hip hop phase. So heavy Illmatic, um, heavy, ready to die, um. Thirty six chambers. Like those are those are sort of his 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 go to's. Um and a little bit a little bit of reasonable doubt. It's interesting, like he hasn't he hasn't gravitated to Jay yet, the way he's gravitated to, to Nas and Nas and big. Um and we haven't had a really detailed conversation on like on why that is, because I would I would think just based on based on where where he is he would have gravitated to jay before before the rest of them just because jay has the most i feel like the the biggest catalog um out of out of all of them but yeah like his like nazan and bigger
1: is people word i've heard you say before that big is your favorite mc of all time so that's got to have something to do with your influence
0: definitely <laughs> definitely man like i like i know on 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 many drives he's heard both ready to die life after death um the junior mafia album really any i mean really anything jay like he's been hearing it for years and years and years i mean any anything big sorry anything big
3: so man they're talking about this year then like what have been your favorite albums to come out in 2020
0: so 2020 for me has been it's been a lot of it's been a lot of r&b um i think versus versus hip-hop I would say like I would say like the last the last couple of years, um, it's been that it's been that way for me. Um, so Summer Walker, um, Janae Echo, some of my some of my go tos, um, for sure. Uh, and then, then I just started listening to um, to the twenty twenty one Savage Metro Booming album. Um, just ran just randomly like I was stuck at the Holland Tunnel one day just put it on. I was like, yeah, let me, let me run through it. See what it sounds like, man. It was really good.
1: Yeah. With your first two answers, I was about to be, if you had said, uh, who did you say? You said summer and, um, Jene Aiko. Uh, Janae Aiko. If you had said, uh, who are the other two? Tiana and Kalani. I would have been like, "Have you seen that recent Billboard cover that just dropped?" I, would I have did. Been like, are they paying you under the table <laughs> to say
0: that? I did. <laughs> I did see the Billboard cover. What did what What did you guys think about that?
1: Oh, I uh, I don't know if these guys have read it, but I thought. I mean, I thought it was a really um, a cool. I thought it was a really cool take, and and surprising. I feel like that's so rare, few and far between, um, to really make. I feel like it, it said had a, a serious statement to it yeah when what it was representing when i
0: when I saw it drop <clears throat> i hit like i didn't actually i wanted to hit day to get to get his explanation on it because it was it's like it's one of those covers that you can't you can't really predict, but when it happens it's like oh man, this is like surprising and delightful and it feels it feels new and it feels fresh like it i was gonna tell him that it reminded me um of the days back in vibe. We did a we did a cover that um that never came out. It was um it was August Alsina, um, Ed Sharon and Mac Wiles. Uh, wow. and we and we so we grouped them together and the cover line man, I feel like I, the cover line was like the bad boys of RB. Um so for the for the um for the teaser drop it was the three of them in in, in ski masks, um, so people can tell who they who they were, and then the official drop was you know them the unveiling without the without the mask. But you know it's going for like a real a real R and B statement, which I thought what I thought it was what I thought it was building Billboard was going after.
2: Yeah. Have you yeah. did you listen to the uh, Jesse Reyes album? I have not. That one it? was my that was my favorite uh, R and B drop this year. Hers and the Chalumbo. So, yeah, I go back and listen.
3: Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's cool that you mentioned like the 90s stuff, and then like I kind of made you talk about today's stuff. But like, <laughs> I wanted to ask about how your listening habits have kind of changed over the years. So like, are you still someone who tunes into the radio? Do you go by playlist now? Like a lot of people have, or do you like to stick to like the ones that you know, the trusted. Tried interested ones.
1: Um,
0: for me, like for me, a lot of music discovery happens like on on playlists. I feel like that's that's where like most people are like, gravitating to now. But you know, post um, pre COVID, um, in the before times, I would you know my my my, my routine was to my routine was to drive um, drive my kid up, kid off at um, school. And then take a ride to the train station and that was a lot of that was a lot of radio time so you know i was still getting getting that 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 radio time every single morning and i'm like i'm such a big fan of the breakfast club you know i think charlemagne is just is a just an amazing talent a once in a lifetime talent so i was getting i was also getting that fix every single every single day you know at, at least monday to friday anyway
3: yeah over the years breakfast club have just created moments just from their like innate energy that they have together. I think feel like just being in that room creates memeable content for lack of a better word. (laughs) Oh
0: man. It's so, yeah. Like one of the, you know, one of the smartest things I've seen revolt to revolt to was to sign them up um, early. Cause you know, speaking to what you said, like the, the chemistry is just, it's just magical. And I think they, they understand their lane so well, you know, like, I would say Envy is sort of like the guy who like keeps everything on the rails. And then, you know, you have Angela who can do the gossip and just delivers, deliver a woman's perspective on everything. And then you have the shock and awe um, and amazingly incredible intelligence of of Charlemagne, that you know, you like, you just you you never know where he's gonna go. You never know how the conversation is gonna end with him, you know, because he does. I know he does so much, so much prep before every single interview, and and I think people, I think people just think that he shows up, sits down at his seat, and just goes, but they don't understand like the amount of prep that goes in every single day before he gets to that studio.
3: Yeah, absolutely, man. Okay, so let's jump in and talk about Level, which I think is one of the most unique publications like out right now and something that I think is massively important. So yeah, I wonder who whose idea it was and uh, how did you get brought in and how did the whole thing start?
0: Um, man, good. I love telling this story. <laughs> <laughs> um, Level, Level was, was, was my idea. Um, and it's, it, it's, been a, it's been an idea that I've had for for a minute, but never really had the time. To sit down and really and really think it through, um, so I finally I finally took the time, you know, put the idea down on paper, figured out who you know who exactly would be the competition if this thing actually came to life, and realized that there really is no competition. It's like it's an incredible white space. Uh, and then I pitched it um, to Siobhan O'Connor um, over at Medium. She's the VP of Editorial. And Siobhan and I used to work together um, back at King, um, um, and 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 for Source over, over over at the Source days a little bit. So, so yeah, pitched it like she thought it was great. Um, she brought me in, spoke to a few people. The idea was greenlit. We started rolling um, in September, September of last year, and we launched. We launched December third. Great. Yeah. Man. So,
3: yeah. why did? Um... Why was medium the place you reached out to? Why was medium the perfect platform for level
0: so they've so they've got medium has this um this slogan which i think if you if you love words and if you love journalism like you're immediately drawn to it and that slogan is words matter like it's it's simple it's two words <laughs> but it means it means so much if you're you know if you're if you're a publishing junkie um whether it be digital or if you're like if you're somehow you're still doing print like words actually mean a lot to you like the the, the things that you put down on paper and put out in the in the world uh, you know it, it, it means something the the other reason that you know it 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 made sense is what I noticed was that all the publications that they were they were doing that we were, that were green lighting they each had a very specific, specific mission, um, you know, they weren't, it wasn't, it wasn't these huge, broad general marketplace, like every single pub was aiming for a specific audience. And the way that I pitch level is that I believe that men, both black and brown men, 30 years and older, like we don't, we don't have a place, you know, we kind of we bounce around from like many, many different destinations but there's really no place that we that we call home and and I wanted to I wanted to I wanted to be the person who created that um, and one you know one frankly like I am I am that consumer like that's the you know that's the age age range that I'm that I'm in but you know to to keep it within medium's mission I had to make sure that it was a very a very targeted vision so there were there were three buckets, three content buckets that I really wanted to make sure that we hammer home. Um, race and identity was the most important bucket for us, um, and this is this is pre like everything that we've had happen this year um, that really that really hits on anti black racism. This is this is before that. Um, yeah, like everyone that I recruited to come to the staff. Um, I wanted to make sure that that was something that they really understood. Um, the second bucket is is what I call the life bucket, and that's that's probably the biggest content content bucket out of out of what we do because that captures it captures fatherhood, it captures marriage, um, it covers sex and relationship relationships, it covers um, financial wellness. Um, it's just a, it's just a ton that that covers and then the third the third bucket speaks to i mean pretty much what I've what I've done my entire career but it puts a twist for it it puts a twist on it like what I wanted to do with that bu- bucket which is the culture bucket is make sure that if we're speaking if we're speaking to celebrities who are are in cycle we don't we don't we don't want to talk about your album and we don't want to talk about your movie we don't want to talk about we might even really like not even want to talk about your, your book, depending on what your, what your book is. Um, But we do want to have really important nuanced conversations about what's going on in the world. So if you feel like you have something to say, that's important, um, come over here. If you want to keep pushing the product that you have in market, like this is probably not a good stop for you.
3: Yeah. So we just see that, that personal touch, that genuine look behind the press run into that who the actual artist is what going to so that's the effect that level has on your music journalism like the music journalism you have on level the philosophy of it kind of breathes that more personal touch would you say
0: yeah i think i think absolutely like i take a story like i look at a story like like the biggie belt which um yes king did and you know i think i I think, like, without without reading anything, and just looking at the headline, you might you might think it's a a story that's deeply rooted in music, but it it's not really music. It's not really rooted in music, and it's not even really rooted in the Notorious B.I.G. It's about all these editors who were in charge of like taking care of the biggie belt that was in in the source office and making sure that it stayed safe
3: yeah man like for me the best music journalism doesn't have to be about music at all it can be so tangentially related but if it has some depth to it and if it deepens your relationship with the music or to the person writing or to something then it's it's doing its job right or helps you learn something about yourself it's doing its job um so yeah seeing as you said level was about um, creating content for men above the age of thirty. What would you say has been your the biggest challenge in your life since turning thirty, and the biggest lesson you've learned?
0: Hmm. The biggest challenge. The big biggest challenge in my life. Uh, I I would say. I would say the biggest challenge has been. Learning how to, learning how to manage from a space, that allows you. That allows you to not be the guy, the person who's who's in front of the product anymore, um, and put the people who are on your team in front. Um, that's that's something that I've had to learn through the years, and now I feel like I'm pretty good with it, man. Like I can put something out, and people might never know that I'm that I'm behind it, and I'm cool with that. But if my team is getting is getting a lot of shine, like it just it brings me, it brings me so much so much joy. That's like that's just that's the key, in my opinion, to management. It's the key to keeping your staff happy. Um, you know, to go back, <laughs> to go back to like to, to go back to Suge. I can't believe I'm actually quoting Suge, but like, yeah, I don't want I like I don't want to be like the man that's all up in the videos. Like that's not, that's not great management to me.
1: Cool. Well, that said, there um, was one piece that you did pen for a level that I particularly connected to that I thought was interesting. So based on you saying that, um, I want to talk about that, uh, the letter from the editor about uh, Nipsey that you wrote in March um, and why that specifically um, felt like the time to put your voice front and center. And if we're going to hear any more of that, because I feel like you must have so many stories directly with artists. That I feel like I was very intrigued to read that that other people would too.
0: Yeah, but so with so with Nipsey, I covered we covered Nipsey <clears throat> um, back when I was I was still at BET, and he had he had came in he came in to do um, our Rate the Bars franchise, which is where we have we have MCs rate their their pairs as bars, but they don't know who the bars are from. So they're kind of, they're kind of rating blindly. Um, so really, really, you know, super fun show. Um, the franchise did really well for us, but I remember I was caught up, I was caught up in meetings that day and I was trying to get down to the studio so I could at least say hello and like, and thank you for doing the franchise congratulations on all of your success. And, um, I could never, I could never make it down. Like by the time that I was done with my day, like he he had already rapped and he was he was out out the building. So, you know, that was that was like the last no, the last time. No, I did get to see him after that, but I saw him in passing, so we didn't really get get to speak. But you know, the the fact that I never really sat down and had like a long conversation with with Nipsey has always been like a, a regret <laughs> because i felt like i blew my chance like just kind of running around and from meeting to meeting and you know getting getting the work done
1: right so then what what about um kind of that experience uh why did you feel the need to use your own personal voice to kind of express that through level at the time that you wrote it
0: um i wanted so so here's like here was here was my this my my biggest fear about Nipsey, the first anniversary of Nipsey's passing, um, was that it was going to fall off of the radar. Um, and I wanted to I wanted to make sure that level as a brand gave it gave it the attention and gave it the the volume of content that it that it deserved. Uh because there was a there was a lot going on, you know. Kobe Kobe had just passed, and and that was really dominant in in the news cycle. Uh, so yeah, I, I really I really wanted to make sure that we that we did did our part because we we talked about it for a minute. and We were like, oh, okay, we could have Jeff Weiss write a piece, and I was just like, man, that's not that's not enough, man. And like it it, it and and honestly, with with this with this piece of content um i didn't mind if it didn't do incredible numbers like that's i felt like there was a bigger picture um really honoring nipsey the the, the first the first year anniversary of his of his passing um we ended, we ended up doing like three three four pieces um, on it, but I was I, I was I was really happy we were able to do that.
1: It's funny I I asked you about your individual contribution and you can't help but keep saying we over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brandon some Yeah, because like I like you know
0: like I didn't I didn't outside of outside of the the letter I didn't I didn't pen any pieces. You know, it was more of like just you know sign, signing off on on the ideas that that
2: we wanted to execute on. Yeah, so you've mentioned how Level is about the conversations and about how artists interact with life, um, which I think is specifically prominent, you know, in the case of Nipsey Hussle. So in your own words, sort of, you know, what is the conversation about Nipsey Hussle that you hope Level is able to continue?
0: Um, I wanna, so I wanna make sure that we continue to go, to go past the music Right? there's gonna be there's gonna be pretty it's gonna be plenty of brands um, who, who's gonna keep the music le- legacy alive. I really want the thing I want to keep alive is is what what Nipsey meant to his community, um, what Nipsey meant to his kids as a as a father, what Nipsey meant to Lauren London as her soulmate. Like those are those are the stories that I think level is really responsible for, for delivering to the, to the public. Um, and we'll let, we'll let everyone else handle the actual music.
1: So to, to shift totally away from the, the music side of level, because I, there was no way I was going to talk to you and not talk about this. Um, but you, uh, recently put out a, a series of essays, uh, entitled abolition for the people, it was a series that you published alongside Kaepernick publishing. Um, so just. Uh I I'd love for you to talk about how that came together and what the motivation was for that.
0: Um so we we had you know it's funny, we, we started speaking to, to CAP um before before quarantine. Uh and then the deal closed in in March, I believe. Um and you know, when we when we finally started to get together over over Zoom, you know, we had we had a bunch of ideas that that we felt were, you know, was strong enough to put in front of him. Um, and it, it it ranged it ranged across all of those like content buckets that I that I talked about. But but, you know, he he had a very he had a very solid idea and a very solid direction that he wanted to go in. Um and he you know, he also had a really, really definitive it was a really well-defined lineup um on what he what he wanted to do. And you know, I've I've done I've done a few guest editor situations in you know over my career. You know, did one with Puff, did one with fifty, uh, and it's never it was it it was never anything like this. Like like he he was present the in, the entire time. He was involved. He was very involved.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, can you talk about um, specifically why why that uh, the idea behind the the series aligns so much with what Level was doing already, and and the reasoning behind um, the full collaboration? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I wouldn't. So I, I wouldn't even say with this one. I wouldn't say level. I would, I would say more. I would say more, more medium, and meaning that you know, and not you know, not not saying that that medium you know is is a champion for for abolition, but more more saying that like medium is a champion for bringing unique conversations to the table and asking people to engage you know so whether you whether you believe in abolition if you don't believe in abolition um i think medium wanted to bring the conversation to to the table um and level obviously
3: for sure um again one more thing kind of away from music is the minority report so um what do you want to explore with that newsletter what do you think is the purpose of having that on level
0: with the uh, my, my, level? minority
3: it? report? Sorry, the minority report. Yeah.
0: Oh man, my doc is <laughs> my do- minority report represent like that. If I had to pick anything that represents um, the voice of level week to week, like that is that is it. It is you know, it's a little bit. It's a little bit cheeky. It's a little bit smart allegy. Um, but we never want to lose the message. Like we want we wanna keep you entertained while reading it, um, but we never want to lose what that what that general what that general message is. Um so the the first half of that of that newsletter, it's you know, it's it's usually a pretty broad a pretty broad broad conversation that that, that we wanna we wanna distill and and in, in get into um and after we get after you get after that first part the second part is it's called it's called this week in racism um which has been <laughs> it's it's been a like just a just a runaway success for us and when we when we decided to include that in the newsletter one of the one of the things People thought was like, yeah, you're not. You're gonna run out of, you're gonna run out of racism. Like, you're not gonna be able to do three specific events of racism every single week." And I was just like, "I, I, I promise you, finding <laughs> racist, fi- finding racist events in the United States is not going to be an issue. The issue is going to be you have too much racism." And what, did, what are the three that we want to highlight this week? Um, and, you know, true to form, there's never been <laughs> there's never been a week where it's like, oh, we're, sh- we're short on racist events that happen. <laughs> like you, can, you can go into Florida alone. Florida alone will Jeez. give you at least two every <laughs> single week.
2: <laughs> so I have a question about how you sort of balance like the cheekiness with the seriousness of subjects. Um, cause like I went to J school and of course, you know, one of the things with J school when talking about news reporting is always to be like more specific to the point, like very cut and dry. But then since sort of like transitioning into music journalism, um, I've been questioning like sort of what is the most effective method of communication? Cause for myself, sometimes I find like a bit of humor or, you know, a bit of like a writer's like tone changing to be more effective in like getting the point across. So I just sort of wonder, you know, what your thoughts are on where that balance is for, you know, the cheekiness, the satire mixed with the very real, very serious topics that you're covering. Yeah, so if
0: um one of the things that we all have in common the people who have worked at level is like we've we've all worked at publications in when they were like at their at their high point and one of the things that the front of the book pieces all dated various publications is that they were very fast. They were very quick moving, and they always had some sort. There was like a house to, a house tone that that went with with each one. Once you got past that that FOB and you got into the feature well, then things started to get you know a little bit a little bit more 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 serious. So. Um I've always felt like what one of the things that I've always been really good at is like developing a tone um for a for a publication and and developing that tone to the point where we're still we're still like we're still giving you the vegetables and the spinach um but we're just delivering it in a In a different way, and that that works really well for short pieces, like um anytime the level editors write um, just ranking shit um that's you know we're we're giving you that giving you that that humor, but hopefully, after you guys finish reading that like there's like you've actually learned something for the day like that's always that's always our our goal and um you know when it's time to do. When it's time to do those 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 more more serious pieces, the the, the tone is a little bit more more straightforward. Yeah, yeah and, and it, like it's also sorry. So, no, yeah, I was gonna say also it's just um, you, you know, there's there's a I think there's a certain way that people get people have become accustomed to reading web content, um, and it is short and it is fast. Um, but what I haven't done what I haven't seen a lot of people really nail is doing fast informational and funny um not of people not a lot of people will really know how to how to do that like you know like just Je- like Je- Je- jezebel is Je- jezebel is great at it. I think they do an excellent job they found a way to to mix the three, or like yeah and pretty- or like the cut the cut too is also really good at it,
3: yeah. Yeah, it's funny that you bring up speed, like the digital platform. That's the main thing people love about is like the speed of the critical analysis to have that in your hand straight away. So with that being said, do you think there's still a place in today's world for a physical magazine, say level as a physical magazine? Do you think there's still a place for something like that?
0: Man, that's a great question. I, I, you know, I think I think print is, I think print will continue to be around, you know. I think the the job the job changes though, um, because you know, like I'll i look at like I will look at all of the Condé Nast publications, which were like, you know, brands that I that I grew up I grew up reading. Um, and and looking how, like, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll I'll take I'll take GQ, you know, as an as an example, like looking at what Art Cooper was doing when, you know, the internet was not nearly a thing yet versus what Jim Nelson did when it was a thing, you know, and I could see, I could sort of see Jim trying to figure it out because he's a, he's a traditional print guy. Um, But things are happening so quickly on, on on the internet is that even though GQ is a monthly. Sometimes some of the information that he might be presenting might already be out there, um, but you know, then you have Will who is now running it, um, and I think Will is starting to figure out that you know he can go he can go younger, um, which will which will help help the book. I don't I don't know like some of the like I read this piece in GQ um, maybe a couple of issues ago. And the piece was on, um, it was on ASAP Nast and his love, his love for Prada. So after I read it, I thought to myself, I was like, man, under Jim Nelson, like this probably would not, this probably would not happen um, at all. So that's just those, those kinds of stories and being aware that, you know, urban culture is really what is, is pushing culture period. Um, Makes me feel like they're they're going they're going in the right direction.
3: Yeah, yeah. It seems to me that they have to find a new space to occupy, rather than having their points rehashed on the digi- on the digital platform, which is so much more readily available. And I think yeah. So what you say is that? Do you think there is a new space of magazines, physical magazines, to occupy? Do you think there is a new angle they can occupy where they're not competing with any dot com I think to use that phrase
0: I think it has to be it has to be a franchise like you have you've gotta if like if I was if I was running a digital pub I'm sorry if I was running a print magazine I would do four I would do four issues a year they would all be highly themed and franchisable so so to be even more specific like the freshman the freshman class cover that that double XL does like that makes sense as a physical product right because it's like you, you've got you've got the young rappers who are all hoping to get selected you've got the audience who gets to participate in the actual selection of the last member I think it's I think it's the last member there's an actual show that comes from it and 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 i feel like they were they were even doing doing tours um at one point so this this one brand has there's there's three different revenue streams that come that comes from it and also it's you you've created something that everyone is looking forward to every single year both on the talent side and both on the consumer side so if I was doing it, I would I would find four of those and that's all I would
1: do. I think Elliot had a very similar answer to you. <laughs> I remember specifically when we asked him a similar question. I think he literally said four if I was doing a print magazine, I would print four a year. Yeah, like, if it's Yeah,
0: it's a, it's a, it's a quarterly. It's a quarterly.
2: Anything past the quarterly, I you know, I think
0: I think it's yeah, I think it doesn't
2: work. So do you sort of see the sort of like a what is it like the indie rapper guideline where the magazine is kind of just a vehicle to sell like, you know, the actual brand?
0: Yeah, it was, um, it was a, it was a big reason. Yes. To your question. Absolutely. Um, and that was a big reason why I chose to go back to vibe, to run it, um, as, as EIC. Cause when, when I was approached, um, by the owners, the thing that I, the thing that I had to ask them immediately was like, "Hey, where do you see things going?" Because if, you know, if you're looking for someone to come back and run Vibe as a print publication, then then I'm probably not your guy, right? Um, if you're looking to, <clears throat> if you're looking to have digital be the mothership oh, yeah. and have the magazine for, be more of a marketing tool. Totally down for that. Totally down for that mission. Um, and you know, I think every everyone everyone agree with that with that strategy. And you know, that's that's why I spent four and a half years of vibe.
3: Yeah. So, like thinking about that transitional time, like that all that time ago, and like thinking about Level now and the philosophy that Level has. Do you think that Level could have existed about ten years ago or back then?
0: Absolutely. Really? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so. I, I, you know, you know, I, there's been like, there's been iteration. There's been iterations. there has been iterations of it. There's been. Um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to remember. There were two publications that try to focus on on black men. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't. They weren't necessarily focusing on that 30 and older range. It was. I think it might actually be. They were actually trying to trying to target 18 just eighteen and up, which is which is an impossible it's like an impossible thing to do. Like there's 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 no way you're gonna create a brand that is interesting for an eighteen year old but is also interesting for a 50 year old. Like it just it can't it can't happen. Those people are in like two completely head spaces um as far as as far as life. So yeah I like I, th- I think if I if I would have if I would have had level in, in this iteration, I I do think it would have worked well um, as a, as, as a print pub, but when I, but I, I will say when I, when I had, when I had the initial idea, like I, cause I go back and I, and I look at it every now and then, and it's, it's kind of funny to me, but like, like fashion was like a big category and I was just like, like, wow, like no one's going to be passionate about, about, Fashion—they're not gonna come to level for that. Like they've got like in, an insane amount of destinations that that are gonna do it way better than we could we could ever do it. That's not that's not something that that's ownable to us. We're like now the 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 things that level covers for the audience that we cover it. I feel like it's ownable to us. You know, like like forty forty over forty feels like it's ownable to, to, to level. Identifying the top 40 artists over the age of 40. That makes sense to me.
2: I really like um, how you made a distinction between like a targeting a specific audience versus a general audience. Um, And I think you might be the perfect person to answer a question. We sort of debated on our last episode of the podcast, actually. Um, We were talking about like SEO targeted listicles as compared to like deep Deeper content on like specific artists. Um, We were sort of debating whether, like, a broadly targeted piece that it's targeted at a larger audience tends to bring in, you know, faster clicks right away, as opposed to a more narrowly in depth targeted piece on a specific artist that might reach a smaller audience but might have more evergreen potential for people to come back. Uh, so would you say it sounds like your opinion with level is that a publication is more successful by picking a specific target audience and really like owning that audience?
0: Yeah, I would. I, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. And and I see it. I see it happen every day with with just ranking shit. Um, the amount of Google, the, the amount of traffic that we get from from Google um, after like the piece is actually published. It's like, okay, this 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 feels good. Like seven. I'm just trying to think of one that, that, that I also, that I see pop up every single day. Like seven seven. Our we did something on R&B artists, and I forget what the what the tag was, but the the specific title was something that really related to an older audience. And we see, we keep on seeing traffic from that every single day. Um, And because just just ranking shit is a is a daily franchise, if you pull if you pull all of the traffic that we're getting to that collectively, because we're probably if if I had to guess, we're like probably 150 posts in at, at at this point on on just ranking shit. Like it really it really adds up. Like the Google traffic really adds up.
1: I, I think that's a, a kind of a, a good transition um, a little bit into our, our next section of, of kind of finessing your place in the way that you were kind of a, approaching that specific piece of level. Um, you That's kind of a thing that I've, I've noticed has really driven your career is just having such a specific in, intention um, wherever it is that you go. Um, and then making sure that you maintain that standard and then bringing new ideas and changes, um, did you ever meet any resistance with that
0: oh man that's a <laughs> that's a great that's a great question. I will say the the um the one that really stands out to me is is when i when i got when I got to king um day and i so day and i had had spoken. I think I might have I might have been features editor at that point when I was at the source. Um, and Day and I had, had spoken about the direction that King was going in. Um, and I was like, okay, cool, you guys you guys have sort of cemented your your space. There there were three issues in by by the way, as being like the black the black maxim. But I think if you I think if you take a step back you'll see that like the the lad the lad magazine is not it's 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 going to die. Like it's not going to it's not going to live forever. Um and and I, I think if you if you make this more of a of a GQ um Maxim hybrid, I think you can really you could really crack. You could really crack something there because it's like, you know, you can continue to do Continue to do to do your covers where you know it's it's these absolutely beautiful black and brown women, um, but inside you can do investigative pieces. You could really do some hardcore journalism um, that makes you more makes you more like Playboy because they also did incredible incredible pieces of journalism. Um, within within those those pages and I think you'll see that we'll get a bigger audience. Um, so we started to do that. Great, great success. You know, the mag the sell the sell through on newsstands on, on that on that magazine was fantastic. And sell through and I, I forget if, if, if you and, and Elliot talked about sell through at all because like the, the sell through on Double XL was insane on on um, newsstands, but we started to do this section within King called Tag um, and we would print it on higher quality paper. It was like it was just these blown out fashion shoots and, and I remember one of the publishers coming to us and being like hey, you guys you guys gotta like start to dumb down the, the content like you know, it's cost it's costing a lot for us to do where you guys want to want to take the book. Um, so that was that was the one time where I was like, oh, man, we're actually facing resistance to do something that's more that, that's more elevated in as, as far as journalism. Um,
1: that's so funny. I so I had another question coming up, but that makes me th- think about it in even a slightly different way. Um, so I already, pre you even saying that, had, uh, I felt like there was an inherent connection between what I viewed as what your intention, based on the things you just said, I I'd taken from, I think, listening in another interview where you talked about wanting something more in depth behind, um, the covers at King. Um, do you think that maybe that resistance that you just spoke about, uh, kind of transitioned into what you're doing now at level? As like okay, whatever that resistance was, this is a kind of new way that we can explore, um, providing that depth, but at level, it's more like behind the headline.
0: Yeah, I I wouldn't, I, you know, I wouldn't say so. I, I, if if I was to be man, if I was to be com completely honest, like I, I think that 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 the 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 drive and the want to do that level of journalism really started really started in like two thousand for for me um that's when i was at i was at hook dot <clears throat> hook dot com it was like the dot com boom i was one of, one of those people who had who had moved sides um and th- that's when i i really started to to see that in addition to the straight up music stories in addition to the you know the predictable sort of stories that like a magazine like like King could do. There was such there was tremendous layers to our culture. Um and someone really needs to be telling telling those those stories. Like the best the best black and brown writers on the planet, should really have an opportunity to tell those stories if they want to tell those stories. Um, so I think it. I think it started. I think I came into King with that. Oh, I. I know I came into King with that mentality, and I've pretty much brought it. Brought it every every place that I've that I've been.
1: So we talked. I, this is yeah. Since you mentioned it, we talked a little bit with Elliot about it because I don't know if you remember from that he brought the piece from Level about the the dot com era and that transition and how it all happened, but he was still at xXL at that time, so I'd definitely love to hear from you what it was like to experience that whole kind of crazy swing um and then swing back from the inside
0: man it was <laughs> it was i'd say like I'd, I'd say this it was great ideas, bad timing um really bad timing, like you know the the technology wasn't at the place where we could do those really, really ambitious ideas, and also you had you had a bunch of kids doing these, you know, running these sites, um, who were not who were not digital natives. So I'll use I'll use Hook.com for as, as an example. Like the entire site was done in Flash, so. If you were trying to like like get onto that thing on your on your modem, like it was it was crashing your browser every single <laughs> time. So all that all the all the great work that went into that content, it's like no one's seeing this because people are literally dialing up on their modems, and you're crashing their servers. You just, you're crashing their browsers. Browsers are being crashed all day. So. So yeah, it, you know, there was like, I don't, I, I don't know if if if, if L talked talked about it. Um, but over at Hook, we started, we started creating videos for, for singles off of artist albums that, that we loved, that we knew were never going to be singles. Like we did, we did Chicken Heads for for um, for Seas. We did we did Please Don't Mind way before Please Don't Mind was an actual single for Philly's most wanted um somehow we end up we ended up doing doing Stan before Stan was a, was single but it's like all of that all of that fantastic content like no one no one is really seeing it
1: that's wild um i i think kind of something that's inherent in in that idea and um the way you move throughout your career is you you have a very serious finesser mentality even from the beginning Um, when you were at Vibe and you found a loophole in the kind of intern system. So I've I've heard you talk about that specifically, but I I was wondering initially just where that mentality kind of comes from within you. And then also what are other examples throughout your career where you've used that to advance?
0: Oh, it was like, I was just trying to hustle. (laughs) I was, yeah. I mean, frankly, I was just trying to hustle. I knew once I entered, once I entered vibes building vibe space i was i was convinced i was like this is this is me like this is where i'm supposed to spend my career this is what i'm supposed to supposed to do and you know at the time this is what what i was doing as an intern like i, I was transcribing interviews for other editors i would put together these like news packages um so read all the newspapers cut out what i what i felt was it was um was viable to to vibe um clip them together and then go from office to office to office to all the editors and hand them off um so what i would what i would do what i would try to do once i handed off the you know the the packages like i would try to have conversations with with everyone just trying to soak up like as much information as i As I could, and I remember a cat like Karen Good, who was like just a legendary writer in in the space, was at vibe at the time and like she took the time to speak to me and it felt it felt so it felt so crazy it felt so crazy. I, I was just like, man this is like this is it um so internship coming to a close, I was like, all right, cool so the so the rule is you can only work. At Vibe for one semester, but what if you work in a different, entirely different department? So went downstairs, started to get really, really cool with um with Larry Blackspot Black um, Blackspot was the the guy who wrote the um the East Coast West Coast cover story for Vibe. So that's the story with um with Big and Puff on on the cover, and I was like, Yo, black man, they about to k- <laughs> they about to kick me out, man is there any, any way that I could like somehow come down here next semester and do anything, like anything for you? Like, I'm not asking for no money. I'll pay to get myself, myself here on my own. Black was like, black was like, absolutely. And I don't know. I don't know if it was like black, if black just didn't know the rule or what it was, (laughs) but once I got, once I got that, that yes, um, I think that I think that changed changed my career, honestly. Because um, what it what it allowed me one of the things that it allowed me to do was be in the building when when Big was killed um and be able to be able to react to that in real time on vibe.com, which was already a thing, was was just it was a hell of an experience, man. It was a it was a life a life changing life changing experience. And if I didn't if I didn't get the second half of that internship, um, I would not have been in the building to write to write any pieces about about how I felt about Big's passing. And, you know, it's every every now and then I like I'll I'll go back and I'll I'll read that piece, which is which is god awful, by the way. It's a terrible piece, um, but. <laughs> But just to just to remember, like where where I came from, um, I'll go back and read that.
2: Yeah, I think um, it's really kind of a a great trait to have to be able to like so readily, you know, see exactly what you want to do and see the path to kind of get there. Um, and that's one of the things that I've really admired about your career is how you always just seem to hit the ground running. And, you know, even when you take on something new you're always bringing new ideas to sort of change what was there before. So, like when you're looking at a new position, how do you sort of figure out where there's room for new opportunity and how do you figure out like, you know, what systems are in place that are already doing well and don't really need a reevaluation? Oh, that's a great question. Can
0: I can I go back and answer the the second part of your um question, Mickey, and and then I'll then I'll get back to it to to this one again um so i would say so i would say the the second part of your question was like when did i when did i bump up against another challenge um and 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 finesse it <laughs> um yeah i've got a great one for that uh we were trying to we were trying to figure out um what cover we would do um to bring you know, my dur- during my tenure that they would really really make a make a bang um, during my tenure, and when I got there, I told I told the publishers I was like, I said, look, you're only we're only doing, I think we we're doing like like six six a year um, at that point. And I was like, this first time back, you know, I think Chris Brown, I think Chris Brown would be great because Chris hadn't yet spoken about what had happened between him and him and Rihanna, you know, and and he had, he already had a great relationship with the brand. Um, And I said, but don't, you know, but don't, don't only do him. I'm telling you, there is a, there's a second person that you need to cut that cover with. So it could be an AB split across the country, across the country. Um, And that, that kid was Drake. So they were just like, that doesn't make any sense to us. Like, why would you split Chris Brown on the cover, speaking for the first time, with like this this brand new kid? And I was like, "Look, man, <laughs> have you listened to so far gone?" <laughs> they were like, "They were like, yep." means Means nothing to us. I was like, "All right, cool." Here's the deal. I promise you. And I, you know, I didn't like, I didn't know Drake was going to be as big, as big as he, as he was. But I said, I promise you, you have a legacy brand. If you cannot show that you are, that you are on the pulse on what's going to happen next, you're dead in the water. Do not be dead in the water and continue to have complex eat your lunch put this kid <laughs> put this kid on the cover and split it went back and forth back and forth a lot they finally decided to to do what i wanted to do and and, and i'm so i'm so glad that i fought i fought for that to happen cool so that's wild <laughs> <laughs> um brandon I, yeah
3: and then the uh the second question was yeah. hitting the ground running and looking at a new position, what needs to change, what needs to grow, essentially. I guess that's a story just about that, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's always it's the hardest thing to do is coming to come into a a top position when there's many people that are already placed. Um because one, you know, you don't you don't know them. Two, you don't know if they necessarily will have the skill set that you need to execute on your vision. Um. And then three, you know, you don't know where the allegiances are. Right, like if it's a brand new regime, you don't know if they have allegiance to the old regime. Um, so you, you kind of have to. You kind of have to feel all of that out i like i always i'll i always say put your vision out there to the people who are already in place and have them have them react to it i love to see i love for people to like hear the vision after it's after it's formally presented and then come back to me and let me know what they think about it and also let them let them pitch stuff based on that vision because it's like here's the I've given you the shell. Here's the shell, here's the play that I'm trying to execute on, right? Now come back to me with the Xs and Os that you guys think fit within within this within this vision and that, you know, that really that that lets me know right away if they're if they're the right players for, for the team, or if they're in the right position, um, yeah. I mean, that's 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 sort of like how how I've always gone about going about doing it. And I like you know the other thing that I do is like I, I just I pay attention to, I pay attention to all the players at every single publication, um, and I really start to, I really start to know what people's strengths are and like what, what their weaknesses are, um, as well. And that, that's, that's something that I think has served me well over, over my career. It's just never losing, never losing sight on the players that are on the board, what they're good at and what Mm -hmm. they're not good at.
1: So did level provide you with the opportunity truly to, um, wholeheartedly, based on the entirety of your career, put all of the players that you specifically wanted exactly where you would like to put them?
0: A thousand percent. Yeah. A thousand percent. Yeah, I, um, you know, Pete, Peter Rubin, Peter, who's the executive editor over at Level, um, I've always kept up on, on what Peter was doing. Peter and I actually, we, we worked a little bit together at um, at King and then he ended up going to Complex, and then to Wired, which I think Peter spent like eight or nine years over at Wired. But he is—he is the most talented line editor that I've ever seen, like bar none, bar none. And in terms of in terms of ideas, he's also really he's really really also tough to. Um, to compete with, so I, like I I knew I knew if I was able to land to land Peter that would put us in a in a in a really good in a really good space um, then bringing in John as the senior editor was was another really big win for us and and you know John like John and I have worked at several places together um, like that's my guy like he worked at King when he was an intern. He and I worked together at Vibe. He was the music editor. Um, he also he went on he went on to work for Genius and and Double XL. But he is, if there's any I'd say if there's any person who who thinks like me, the closest person who thinks exactly like me, like it would be John. Like John can finish John can finish my sentences. Um, I could be like, hey JFK, such and such is out. Here's the angle that I think we should take, like I know let's say if if I got sick right in the middle of that idea and had to go home, John could finish that idea, and it would be exactly what I wanted to do like we are just we are just that locked in terms of in terms of ideation um and you know. I know that I wanted to have this is the this is position at at, at medium all the pubs have them they're called they're called um platform editors and the job of a platform editor is to scour the the platform and find stories that make sense for each of the publications but put those writers through a very rigorous edit process um to get the stories in the tone um of of each brand um so jada gomez she was over at bustle i think she might have been executive editor over there um once we like once we interviewed like i knew i knew right away that she was she was a person um so snagged, snagged her up um david dennis which you, i think you, you guys have like featured a lot of David stuff um David started working with us in the beginning um but he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't on staff we were just commissioning his stuff um and every single every single thing David wrote would not only find an audience on the platform but it would find an audience off the platform um so we worked really hard to get him under under contract so that level could be the only place that he that he writes, um, but I also knew that I wanted, I needed to have a younger staff writer. Um, because as as much as as much as we're we're focusing on that thirty and older audience, it's like I like we've got a ton of people who are thirty on thirty and older. Like we we all know it, but like, what's the person who is not in this age range? how are they how are they looking at the topics that we're discussing um, and that's why i hired torhaka torhaka love one because he's he's such a he's such a deep thinker um, for his age i think torhaka might be 26 or 27 um, but i knew but i knew that he would be able to give us that really nuanced feedback on how we were thinking of things and I knew that he would keep it one hundred. Like I don't you know, like the what what I know I didn't need was someone who was gonna be in that age range that, that was gonna agree with every single thing we said. Um I wanted someone that was gonna give us tremendous pushback and force us to look at things a different way. Um and I think that's what Tarhaka brings us.
2: You mentioned uh, having, it was John, right, the, who, the editor you've worked with who you really admire his editing abilities, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you more so than anyone else uh, we've interviewed so far have a lot of experience specifically with editorial as opposed to like, uh, you know, just the writing or just the publication side of things. You have a lot more experience specifically with editorial. So what, um, what kind of traits do you see in a good writer-editor relationship and what kind of traits do you see in just a good editor in general? Um, a good writer-editor relationship. So the
0: the most I would say the most recent example I've I've seen I'd say two. Peter's dynamic with with David um, is is pretty is pretty solid because now because now it's 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 at the it's at the point where I think Peter can just throw out a prompt. Um and David can come back with several suggestions that fit, but he always makes sure he he always makes sure that he delivers that copy in the voice of level so that Peter doesn't have to do a ton of work when he gets the piece. Change it into the voice of level in addition to sending back edits. Today, because that like that's that just turns into like a really arduous um, process. Uh, so yeah, so I, so I I think a a writer who really understands the tone of a publication and is also a high level writer to begin with, like that's that's sort of what you want. That's like that's like the sweet spot, um, right there. Um, and then the the second part of your question
2: was. What was the editor? Was the editor part of the question? Uh, Just good, just what strong traits do you think that like most editors have in general? Like what makes someone, you know, a really good figure to work with specific writers to like bring out their voice while also, uh, like you said, reinforcing the voice of the publication? I would say,
0: um, I would say patience. Patience. And there's some, like there's, There's some writers that will, that will get your copy um, and not be willing to take the time to go back and forth so that the piece remains, like the piece has, has your essence, has the writer's essence, has the writer's voice in it. Like a, like an, an editor who goes in and does a complete rewrite is always like a, that's always like a red flag to me. Um. Because, because that that shows that shows like you're not a great you're not a great coach. You know? You cannot you you don't have you don't have the trust in your writer to get the piece where it needs to be. Um, and if it's happening over and over and over again yeah, that's like that's like a super red, super red, red red flag for me because it's it's you know as especially now and especially on on level it's it's such a it's such a voicey publication that we we actually we actually champion you know like I, like I'll take someone like um like Panama Jackson you know just I mean just very smart brothers in in general right like they've they've got a certain tone no matter what the subject what the subject is Um, and they hit that they hit that tone consistently 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 so you know if we're you know I'll I'll use Peter and David as an example again but like if you know if David was writing pieces and I know at at this point like I know David's voice very well um, and if Peter wasn't, wasn't really taking the time to cultivate that, that voice with them, like to me, that's, that's just really bad. That's bad editing. Um, so, yeah, patience. Patience is, a, is the thing that I look for um, with editors.
2: Uh, what kind of things do you look for when assessing new writers? Like, let's say, for example, um, a writer is pitching you, and it's a writer that you're not, you know, their name doesn't ring a bell necessarily. Um, and they're pitching you some kind of story how do you go about you know one assessing their story um, and then two sort of assessing whether or not the writer is a match for level uh what's
0: the what's the new it's the like that's the question that i ask all the time when you know when um when we're sitting in those in those staff meetings and everyone is going over pitches that either pitches that they have or pitches that they've received from outside writers like every people know the first thing I'm going to ask is like what's the what's the new right like like I'm I'm going to always approach it as like I don't I don't work at level why should I read this story like you got to you got to you got to convince me why this story makes sense for the reader and what's the new they're going to leave leave with after after reading after reading the story so yeah to you know to it's a it's a broad like what's the new is a broad it's sort of a broad answer but it's like it's it's really it's the thing that you need to to push forward with the with the pitch if i can't if i can't answer what's the new and the editor can not answer what's the new then it's probably not it's probably not a good idea for us
2: and Level is geared towards, you know, these really difficult conversations. Um, and as an editor, you know, you sort of are in a position to either guide these conversations or sort of put a stop on, you know, you, you're evaluating the conversations that the platform is going to hold. Um, so do you feel responsibility to, you know, guide the conversations or do you take more of a loose approach and let the writers sort of just bring the conversations that they feel are important? Um, I like to I, I think it's I, like, I think it's somewhere somewhere in the
0: middle so and and let me caveat that by by saying I don't want to I never want to be in the way I, like I, I that's not that's not the role that I that I play like I have I have I really have trust in the editors that I hire to make to make the right to make the right decisions <clears throat> um. And we might not we might not always agree with things that a writer pitches, um, but we can certainly tell when it's a good story, right? So, like the dare the dare level column, which is the, the 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 way we came up with with that column was the the idea was that you know men do things poorly and sometimes women have to let us know when we are doing things incorrectly so dear level is is told from a woman's perspective speaking to the audience teaching us how to do things there's there's been plenty of times where the subjects of dear level will land in an edit meeting and every single every single man in that room would be like I absolutely don't agree. I don't know why we're doing this story. It does not it does not make sense. And and Peter and I would be like, I hear you. I don't actually I don't actually agree either. But I would read the hell out of this story. <laughs> I would <laughs> I would read it to be like, what's like what is the what is the thinking but what is the thinking behind it? Um there was one, like for instance, there, there, there was one that, that came up recently, um, that didn't land well in in the edit meeting, and the subject was the subject was about um, the writer would not let her man wear gray gray shorts because she felt like people would be ogling him when he when he went outside. <laughs> so yeah, so like in. In the room, it was just like that is that is so ridiculous. Why like that makes no sense. That is such a petty thing. Why would he? Why why, why would we ever write about that? And I was just like, hey man, like that's like that's that's what she's feeling. That's how, that, that's how she feels about it. Let's let's try it out. Um, story did fantastic. Story did absolutely fantastic. Um, there was another one. There was another one that that she wrote. Um, another high performer that story was about it was about you're not allowed you're not allowed to have an office wife um and actually if you do have an office wife it's disrespectful to your to your wife or your partner um that's another one like in in the room didn't land didn't land so well um we let her write it and it was like, it did just incredible traffic. Like, people were, people wanted to, people wanted to strongly agree or disagree with that statement. And I think that's when, that's when you know you've really hit on something. If you're, if you're getting people who are like vehemently like disagreeing, I think you're, you're, you're in a good space. Disagreeing and, and, and agreeing. Um, but nothing in the middle. I feel like if, if you're in the middle, maybe, maybe you didn't you didn't do such a
3: great job yeah the point is to make strong emotions right
0: yeah
3: yeah so like would you say along with patience the removal of ego is what kind of makes a good editor and specifically being an editor-in-chief do you think that's forced you to kind of assess your personal biases before looking at a pitch
0: i yeah i try to I try to and i'm i've gotten i've gotten really good at it um <laughs> just because i feel like i've i've been i've been e i c i have been and just to turn that into a verb so so long um i do not love every single piece no I'll take that back i do love every single piece that we publish <laughs> i don't i don't i don't agree. That's, right. that's, that's the, that's the correct statement. I don't agree with every single piece that I publish, but I do know that it's going to find an audience and it's going to find a large audience. And if I'm doing that, then I'm doing the job.
2: There's still like, I still see though, you know, as an editor, there's, do you think that there is still, um, and I think the answer is kind of, yes, there is still a line somewhere. It's just a matter of where you place it. Um, so how do you kind of balance you know, whether knowing that a a specific take might be problematic versus how it might be um you know a controversial conversation? It, like do you think that there is a line there, or would you sort of be open, like way more open ended to any sort of conversation? no, I, I wanna so I, I
0: I'm not going to I'm never gonna be the person who pushes.
1: Provocative,
0: for the sake of being provocative, right? Um, yeah, that's just like that's not that's not how I approach editorial. If I think something is going to create a healthy conversation, um, that people that people agree on, on people agree or disagree with, um, on different sides, like I'm all I'm all for that, but. I'm never gonna be I'm never gonna be the super clickbait person, um or also the the person who who puts out puts out something that's just wrong. Just just absolutely you know, ab absolutely wrong. You know, i like I'll take you know, I'll 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 use I'll use abolition as an as as an example. Um you know, and you know and again it's it's you know it's something that's that's coming from from Pub publishing but you know i i I'm fully aware that like people everyone is not gonna agree on getting rid of police and getting rid of prisons you know do I think it's an interesting conversation to have do I think that people people who our intellectual are going to read it and have strong feelings on either sides? Like, absolutely.
1: I think uh, the the statement about um, clickbait never being the intention definitely really aligns with what we try to do at Central Sauce uh, specifically. Um, And then uh, to transition as smoothly as I possibly can into our final questions, another kind of thing that we're not not as much into at at Central Sauce is, Labeling anything best or worst, we're way more into kind of like your personal opinion on what things are, uh, how you personally like or dislike things, um, rather than just a general best or worst. Um, so, uh, this is, uh, our inherent definition of, of, since our publication is called Central Sauce, of sauce, um, is, uh, it's just whatever you, you, you feel like, when someone has the sauce, they have it based on whatever your personal standards are. So we have this three-part uh, three sequence question uh, section at the end called, who besides you got the sauce? So I'm going to lead off with the first question, and then Brandon and Ryan, I'll take the other two. So, um, who's got the most sauce in the music industry from any sector and why? Artist, media, label, manager, playlist, or whoever?
0: Oh. <clears throat> right now. Damn, that's a great question. And I want to get it right. Well not not right. Right is right isn't the, the right term.
1: Right <laughs> <That's a gesture. laughs> just to you. <laughs> Alright.
0: Um the person you know the person that I am impressed with. Um, always. And this is like, it's such a it's it's such a behind the scenes answer. And it's going to it's going to require some digging for like people to even, you know, find this person and 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 see what she's done and why I think she has the sauce. Um, but Cara Donato, who is um, the head of publicity over at, at Innescope is someone to me who has always had the had the sauce um you know in is is a mat that's a massive roster right there um from Billie eilish mm-hmm. eminem on um it's in it's insane so kara is kara is the first she's the first black woman to ever hold any head of pr position at any label which i you know which i Claps for that because I think that's that's incredible. Um, but even before she got to that position, the way I watched her navigate while she was at at Atlantic, the careers of Bruno Mars, um, Janelle Monáe, um, those two in particular, um, I just thought was. It was always very, very thoughtful, um, and she was always able to really control the brand messaging um, on on those two artists. Uh, and I think that's you know I think that's I think that's really hard hard to do when you have artists that are that big.
1: Mm. I <laughs> I I we don't ask what we consider any necessarily leading questions at this podcast but if we could have decided one way for someone to answer that question with someone who's like in the cut but has done so much sauce wise that people don't know about that would be like the ideal yes. answer i think <laughs> that we would have hoped perfect. for from that yeah. question
0: man her, you know. her her career is her, her career is incredible man and i've been i've been watching her go from you know from space to to space and uh, like blown, just blown away. When, when, when Bruno won, when Bruno had that, that sweep at the Grammys, which was album of the year, record of the year. um, There was a third one. There was a third one that I'm, that I'm, oh, song. I think it was album, record and song of the year. The first person I thought about was, was man, congrats, Carol, like job well done, man. Job well done, like you have managed this dude's
2: image to perfection
1: yeah that's crazy yeah that's like a
2: crazy thinking process that's That's like like, really
1: cinematic i (laughs) to (laughs) me is like that's like the the i I didn't think i was going to use this word in this interview but me and brandon have been arguing recently on how to say (laughs) (laughs) biopic and he says biopic but that would be like the finale of her biopic. (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean it's like you know that's really like the the story is like you know you have to finesse the industry all the way and then she's you know the first black woman to head that position at interscope and then bruno mars just sweeps the whole shit and that's like that crazy climactic ending it's
0: it's nuts it's nuts. it's a it's a hell of a career (laughs) (laughs) i don't i i I also say biopic for whatever. Damn it!
1: Whatever. Oh <laughs> Damn yes! Whatever it's worth. Oh! <laughs> you just, you don't you don't realize how uh, how many times we've gone back and forth on this. Jermaine and I feel like we really just got to win there.
2: <laughs> I'm targeting our next interview with someone who specifically I hear them say. Bio.
1: <laughs> My whole thing that I say to Brandon over and over again is it's Lincoln bio, not Lincoln Bio. That's a great point. That's
0: a right. that's a great point, Brandon. That's a real good point, man.
3: <laughs> you gotta understand, Jermaine. I wasn't even there for this initial conversation, and I'm already tired of it. That's how much <laughs> we've gone back and forth.
1: No, it's okay. I think Jermaine has officially ended it, so we're all yeah. Good. I think we reached a good <laughs> ending there. Wait, but until, wait until I
2: get
0: until I get my interview subject in here. <laughs> Ryan, what's your what's your take? What's the what's what's the way to say? it? The thing in your is, opinion.
3: I'm British, so I'm exempt from the conversation and I can, <laughs> I'm a third party. He I can he just pronounces look. it weird yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my way out. It's my way out. But uh, yeah, so second signature question. <laughs> Whose level of source do you admire most in your life outside of music and journalism?
0: Oh, man. Yeah, I had to pick favorites. <laughs> Whose level of source? Oh, man. Um, can I do a, can I do a one, one A and a one B?
3: Sure thing. Yeah. Okay. Sources of spectrum.
1: You said, you said Lincoln, bio, you said biopic. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I would say, man, he's, man, he's in my, he's in my profession though a little sort of kind of i mean one one a would be one one a would be my wife um and that's and that's nepotism so i'm not going <laughs> to i'm not going to go too far into into that but what she's able to what but, but she's been, she's in digital marketing what she's been able to do over her her career is it's just in it's just incredible to me one one b i'm going to so i'm going to i'm going to caveat it And I'm going to tell you why I'm caveating it. Um, I'm going to, the answer I'm going to give is Sean Combs, not Puffy, not Diddy, not any of the other nicknames, um, but Sean Combs as a businessman. And I know, I, I know it's, 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 it's connect, it's connected. Um, but what that dude has been able to do over 3 decades I think I think it I think now it gets it gets lost in the sauce no pun intended um <laughs> and that's all that's that's always that's always really confusing um to me because he is absolutely a one of one, taking taking music out of the equation and what he's he's accomplished with that because everyone knows um, what that's been. But like winning a CFD uh, a CFDA award um, and being able to take a brand like Ciroc, you know, which was which was nowhere, and make that into a premium liquor and something that his culture all all buys buys into um and then just the the general genius of his of his marketing throughout his entire career is something that i'm i'm always blown away by he's also he's also been he's he's the person that i i have the most fun talking to um, because I think the, when he, when he starts to speak, I feel like I'm a student and I, and I'm, I'm constantly trying to battle being a student and doing my job as a journalist. Uh, and it's, I don't think there's a lot of people that, that, that really happens with.
2: I think, yeah, that answer works. Cause I mean, your, your justification for it was outside of you know, outside of music and outside of journalism, so I think that's a great answer. You got some deep answers on this. I like it. <laughs> so, for the last part of the three question series, um, you have brought the sauce to this episode of the podcast. Who is a journalist you think can bring the most sauce to our next interview? Mm. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna name somebody who I haven't I haven't worked with this
0: person in a really long time. Um, but I love I love when we did work together um did work at the source together um i think we might have done a couple things at king and i haven't worked with him since but i've watched him blossom into a a giant at the at the new york times um john Caramonica is amazing he's amazing man he he thinks very deeply um he pulls back layers that you never really even thought of and I can't express, I can't begin to express how important it is that he has brought our culture to the paper of record. Um, so I think he would be, I think he would be great for you. And an, another guy, like I'm, I'm going to double down on on Elliot's suggestion. I think, I think De'Twan Thomas would be incredible for you guys. He tells amazing stories. Um, he's been in the trenches on in several decades he wrote he wrote the. he wrote the and the only murder inc cover story with ja jay and dmx i don't i don't know if anyone else can i don't think anyone else can can claim that um and he has built several several brands over over his career
1: mm. You know, I well now that you say that, I have to ask this question for sure before we head out was what what was your favorite cover story in all of your time? Actually, since you've been doing one A and one B, you gotta definitely do it one A, one B, and maybe even a one C on that one, for sure.
0: Oh man. I would say Um Hmm. I would say the I would say the the puff source cover story um was my favorite and it's because I was, I was getting to puff when he had just beat his case based on what had happened with Shine, um, and I think I got him at her. I got him at a point where Puff Daddy was no. He wasn't. He wasn't there. Puff Daddy had disappeared for a little bit because he was just exhaling from from beating this thing and there was a there was there was a lot of vulnerability um, at the time we were that at the time that we were speaking Um, so I would say that's I would say that's that's um, my favorite Um, B I would go with Ja. I like the the Jock of cover story that I that I did in in the midst of his battle um, with Fifty Cent was that was a hell that was a hell of a journey. One, it was done during the holidays. Um, I flew I flew to L.A. I essentially had to chase him down all like all over the place. Like, we ended up going to we ended up going to like a Playboy Mansion party and then. And then he was supposed to do a second interview and, and he flaked and, and jetted out. So then I had to travel to Houston and finish the interview, which we did at Katino Mobley's house, like super, super, super random. <laughs> uh mm-hmm. then I I flew back to um to New York and then that's when the um the order of protection rumors about the order of protection went out which you know looking back looking back on that on on that story like the way the way that that they positioned that order of protection that that 50 got was like like it was not it wasn't accurate um so yeah i think just the 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 heat that 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 was around those those two camps um at the time makes that my my second second favorite cover story
1: well, those ones are very serious to claim, my guy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and It's also insane that you said um, John Caramanica as uh, the person who should come on next, not just because we uh, featured an article of his a couple of yeah. episodes ago about All Rap right. Ferreira, one of my favorite artists, yeah. but uh, Mickey literally said yesterday, that you are going to do that.
1: You predicted that I'm not going to lie. I, said, <laughs> I was like, who is he going to say at the end? And I literally said, Daytuan and John Karamanica. He said, wow, sure. wow. I, call, I was like, if he, <laughs> if he does someone who's like a direct person to him as super direct, he's going to say Daytuan. But I think if he goes like and veers off and answers the question of like, who's someone who like you would personally want to hear from. Because I, I like I like those answers to that question of like who you would personally want to hear from because you don't have as much of a history with them but you admire them from afar. I literally said John Karamanica.
0: He's <laughs> he's a fantastic writer. That dude, it's very descriptive. I could see I could see everything that that he's saying, um, and his answers are just it's just it's so it's so well well thought out. I'm, I mean, if the I feel like, and this this is crazy to say, but if the times were to ever lose him, I think that would like that would be a tremendous tremendous loss, both for them and both for us as a, as a culture.
1: Well, sure. thanks again, Jermaine. Man, thank you awesome. so much, again.
0: Again, thank you guys for having me. Man, love the podcast. I I, I really the 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 people that that you've had, especially especially L. Um, you know, I thought I thought Elle's was really, I thought L gave you guys some some good scoops. <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like i'll give you guys some good scoops um and then watching, and then and now like now i've 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 watched him continue to be an an open book to like all of the, all of the stories that took place um throughout his career and it's like it's a
1: joy to to, to read the motto i look forward yeah. to it yeah, man, we can't wait to keep reading what you guys are putting sure. out with Level, and hopefully we'll feature even more pieces on. I'm sure we will.
2: Podcast, yeah. I'm
0: I'm sure we will. Sure. Yeah, man, thank you so much for for, for supporting, man. We this is like I said, this has been like an idea that I've had for a really long time, and it's it's really it's really nice to see it have an impact out there in the world.
3: It's working beautifully. It's it's really is working beautifully.
0: Thank you. Appreciate it.
3: This episode of Insect Source featured Mickey Hellerback, Brandon Hill, and Ryan Gore, the Central Source Grave Collective, and Mr. Jermaine Hall. The episode was edited by me, Chito, the 5th Element Podcast Network. Music for this show is fudged up by Basti. Thanks to Cheer Records for the ability to use. This has been a Central Source and 5th Element Podcast Network production. Thanks to Barsty, Cheer Records, Central Source, the 5th Element, can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you next time as we continue our search for Source.